You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. encouraging. I'm always encouraged seeing what everybody's doing. Um, I want to let you know that if your kids or family members are going to be embarking on something, we'd like to pray for them too. This isn't just for uh, elders' kids. Um, this is for the whole body. Or if you're, if you're, for those that are moving away, we want to pray that um, people are sent out well. Or if people are coming in, we want to welcome them into the body. And we are, we're a community of believers. And that's what we want to focus on, that we're in this together. We're not just coming and happening to be at the same place on a Sunday morning to hear a nice message that might be encouraging and might be challenging, but we are a community gathered together to support and love each other. We, are, we do have an interesting message today. Uh, Chris said, great. I'm not sure about that. It's, it's a little odd, the passage. Um, it's weird to go through, uh, so I'm going to have to set the scene a little bit. So we're going through the book of Genesis, we're talking about foundations, we're talking about how everything has been begun, been set up. We were at the macro level, looking at the world, the universe, everything, and we've narrowed down to one family. And they're a really weird, dysfunctional family. Um, I'm not a big fan of Sarah or Abraham personally. Um, I don't like a lot of the choices they've made, but they're really representative of humanity and what God does with humanity, is that despite us, God is still going to do amazing things. And so if you feel that yourself, that you're disqualified or you're just not the person that God would possibly use, look at Abraham and Sarah, God will use you. Amen. Amen. Uh, It's just... It's so remarkable over and over again throughout scripture where that's the case, where God picks this person where it's like, what were you thinking? But he still does amazing things with them. Um, He does amazing things despite ourselves. And that's really the big emphasis of this passage is that us getting in the way and perhaps some ways to get in the way less. Um, So setting the scene, we have Abraham, who's just been given this amazing promise by God. Um, Last week, uh, God was talking about all the amazing things he's going to do, and Abraham's saying, Lord, why does it matter? Why does any of that matter? The the cry of my heart isn't fulfilled, and I don't ever see it being fulfilled. My wife is 75. I'm 85. She can't even have kids anymore. How on earth is this going to be even possible? Everything's just going to go to someone else. What's it even going to matter? And God meets him where he's at, and he brings him outside. He says, look to the stars, Abraham. I'm going to do such an amazing thing in you. You're going to have a son, and you're going to bless the entire earth. Your descendants cannot even be numbered. Abraham, we're going to do amazing things. And this is where we leave off this chapter. And so it's this beautiful promise. He's probably feeling pretty bolstered up, um, but there's other people in the house. There's other people in the house that are thinking this through. You've got Sarah, for instance. She's currently named Sarai, um, but her name will change in a couple chapters. And she can't have kids. Even if she was at a spot younger in her life when she could, the ways of women change over time, and eventually you just can't anymore. And that's where she's at now. So in her mind, how on earth is she going to give Abraham a son? Not thinking about they're dealing with God here, creator of the universe, master of all things, can do anything. 
But when we're human and we get these promises, and it's been a long time, we start kind of thinking, well, how can I help God out here? How can I help God with his plan? I've got a plan. What could go wrong? So she thinks about it. She schemes a little bit and like, hey, we got all of these servants from Egypt that we brought. And that was, you know, gathered in a good way. And I've got this one particular servant named Hagar. My personal servant, maybe, I mean, she's, she's young enough. Maybe we can make this work. What could go wrong? What could possibly go, be going wrong with bringing someone else into your marriage? We'll see. So this is our setup. The whole emphasis of here is impatience makes problems. Out of Second Peter, it says, but do not look this one, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but it is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. God's time frame is not like ours. He's looking at the time frame of eons. He's looking at how your decisions are going to affect your children's children's children. He's got a whole different time frame, and he's never late. He's always right on time. But for us, that's nerve-wracking, and it's never soon enough. And so we really have to press into him, into that reality, and that he is faithful. Yeah. And he's always going to be on time. And he's got a different plan in mind than ours. And so we have to press into that faith. Out of Proverbs 20, it says, An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. We have to realize, what do we really want? What's the big picture? Are we so eager to get something now that we're willing to sacrifice what could be or can we wait a little bit to get the fullness of the promises that God has? It's a frame of mind we have to be in. It's, we're about to see the problems that result of people that don't heed these warnings. Unfortunately, they actually didn't have these warnings to heed at the time. None of those things were even written yet. These things are written because of these people. That's one of the things that's been inter so interesting to me looking at Scripture. When we look back at the beginning... Everyone's looking back at what they did and going, you see that? Yeah, let's not do that. Let's write it down. Maybe people will get it. <laughs> Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. This is the setup. What could possibly go wrong here? And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servants. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham from, or gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. But that's weird. That's all around is weird. Um, it's not the only time this happens in scripture. It's going to happen with their grandson, Jacob, and his wives and their handmaids as they're competing to have the most children through their servants. It's totally bizarre way of thinking in our frame of mind. Um, but at the time, this actually wasn't as uncommon if someone couldn't have children. They would have a servant and they would have, that servant would be a surrogate mother and the, the wife that couldn't have a child would adopt that child as her own and that would become the heir. 
It was fairly common enough, if not a weird, strange kind of why on earth would you do this practice when God said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one. He's got a plan that people should be with one spouse. That's his plan. Anytime we deviate from that plan in scripture, anytime we deviate from any of God's plans in scripture, things go sideways. You would think we've learned the lesson, but we have not. And so what's interesting, though, is she's not uh, a wife in the same sense that Sarah is his wife. It's more of the um, status of a concubine. And this we can see later on in Scripture in Genesis 25, Genesis 30, Genesis 35, when it's talking about the relationships here and how they're referred to. Um, she is never referred to as Abraham's wife. She's always referred to as the servant of Sarai. But Sarah is always referred to as Abraham's wife. Same with Jacob's two wives, because he actually married both of them, and their two servants are never referred to as his wives, but they're given in the same way. It's strange. We kind of have to just look through their eyes for a minute. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And I thought about this, and Sarai and Hagar are going to have an interesting relationship from here on out. Go figure. And this right here is the issue Hagar has. Now, she gets pretty ill-treated, but you have to imagine for a moment there are wise things to do and unwise things to do in any context. So you have Sarai. Sarai is drop-dead gorgeous of a woman. She's so beautiful. Everywhere they go, Abram is worried they're going to kill him to take her for themselves. And she's in her older age, still drop-dead gorgeous. And so she is, in an earthly sense, beautiful, married to a wealthy man. She's got it all, but she can't have any kids. At a time when the amount of sons you could produce was your worth as a woman. I'm sorry, ladies, that was the time. That was their worth, and she can't do that. So she has everything else except for the one thing that everyone's looking at her for, everyone's judging her for. So would it go well to be the servant of that woman and start treating her contemptuously for that very same reason? She's been thinking about this for her entire marriage, and now you come along and have a baby with her husband. You might want to tread softly. But she doesn't. She looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. Look what you did. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me or between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. I just, people don't change a whole lot. I mean, this is reality TV at its finest. Um, I just thought, whose idea was this? This was Sarah's idea. And now she's blaming Abraham for it. And everything in here is supposed to remind us actually back of the garden account. Because what happens in the garden account? You have someone's wife, 
who is tempted in accelerating God's plan. So what do they do? They take something they shouldn't take, and they give something they shouldn't have given to their husband. And what does the husband do? Sure. <laughs> well, only because you want me to, dear. I'm doing this for you. And what happens? The plan doesn't go the way they wanted it to. And now there are consequences. And of course, everybody, when the plan doesn't go they want to, accept the consequences of their actions with humility and grace. <laughs> no. No, in fact, they blame it on everyone else but themselves. And so what is the actually tie-in at the end of this that's really supposed to throw us back to that moment? You can't even tell in English. Because the phrasing works well in English as a translation. Do to her as you please. When you look back at the Hebrew words, it's do what's good in your own sight. What is the original problem? What is the original sin? I want to choose what's good and evil. I want to do what's right in my own sight. It's the repeated problem in humanity over and over again. It's the entire moral compass of the entire book of Judges. Is that everyone's doing what's right in their own sight and watching all of humanity devolve because of this. So he's telling her, do what's right in your own sight. She's your servant. Now, this could be seen as, hey, Sarah, do the right thing here. But he's giving her license to choose for herself. And we all know we make that decision so well when we're angry. Yeah. And we want to justify what we're going to do. So what does she do? Sariah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So harsh that she fled for her life. Because the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on her way to Shur. So this is a young, pregnant woman who has no husband with her, no prospects, is a runaway slave, and this is a better idea than staying. That's how harsh the treatment was. Shur is on the border of Egypt. Shur means wall. They believe it's a, a line of fortifications that were there on their northeastern border. So she's willing to flee back home where they... People that knew her knew she was sold as a slave to them, but this is going to be somehow better than their previous condition. She's pretty desperate here. It must have been pretty bad. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. This is a difficult call from God. Like I read that and I thought, you want her to go back to the hostile conflict, to a, a difficult situation. And he's not only calling her back to that, he's actually giving her advice in, advice in it, saying, submit to her. Because what is the reason she dealt so harshly with her in the first place? She started dealing contemptuously with the mistress. So the, the relationship's probably not going to be very positive from here on out. But a promise has been made. Um, I wonder if it was a little bit in line to deceive Abraham and Sarah. Because she's promising multitudes from her son. So this sounds like the promised child where many nations are going to come from him. 
And everyone's going to be against him at some point because they're going to be going into Egypt. All these promises are already going to be made. So this sounds like the promised son. Sounds like they accomplished God's will in their way. And so that will actually help Hagar be kept safe and her son be kept safe until the actual son is born. Because that doesn't happen for another 13 years. So he's calling her back to a difficult situation. He's giving her advice. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to go back to an abusive situation. But I am saying that sometimes God will call you to situations that are not comfortable, that are challenging, and he's going to give you some good advice that you're not going to want to take because you're unhappy about it for some way. But it's for the time at hand, and it's what God has called you to. God doesn't usually call us to ease. He calls us to the difficult things where we have to be stretched. We have to be expanded. We have to be grown. And people don't grow without a little bit of conflict, without a little bit of pressure, without something that requires you to grow. Because if everything is easy, we stagnate. Okay. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now Be'er Lahai Roy means the well of the living one who sees me. And I really only heard this in this context, so I did a search for that well to see if it comes up anywhere else in Scripture. It's actually a fairly significant place, and it emphasizes how much conflict has come in this family because of impatience in people's choices, because this is where they fled to, and this is actually where the promised son, whose name is going to be Isaac, he's going to end up settling in this, that same region where this well is which is also where Ishmael is going to end up settling later on in his life as well. So you have these two brothers whose mothers are in perpetual conflict, and the brothers have to endure that through their childhood. The brothers have to grow up with that. They have to figure out how to make amends when their family can't. And these are actually going to be the only two brothers of Abraham's sons that stick together all the way to Abraham's death because they bury him together. They actually grow close to agree. They're even dwelling in the same area. And so we have to realize that there's so many things we can do, even subtly, to make it more hard on our children than we need to. Because of our impatience for something, our plans for something, our desires for something, and not wanting to wait for God to bring it about. And what's really striking is Sarah doesn't adopt the boy. That was the whole point of this, was that, that she would get children through Hagar. And this whole ordeal happens, and then she just, no. And it's, there's no explanation for it. We can only assume it's because of this event, that the whole grand scheme, the whole grand plan all goes kaput. And it puts Ishmael in a really unfortunate spot for the next, really, all of his childhood. Mom loves me, dad loves me, but dad's wife doesn't. Dad's wife looks at me as a reminder of a problem, a reminder of a bad choice. Can you imagine living with that, growing up with that? 
And the eventual outcome of that we're going to see later on when him and his mom get exiled because of that. It's such an unfortunate spot that he's in that he has to live with as a consequence of someone else's choice. Nothing he did. He's a baby. He's just a child. And he has to live with immense consequences because someone else's impatience. And so what can we say? What can we take away from this? How can we apply this in a real meaningful way to our lives? And it made me think of Proverbs 13, 12, where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. We want the desire fulfilled. We want the tree of life. But we're so impatient sometimes because it really does make the heart sick. We want it resolved. We want it taken care of now. And it made me think of a point in my life where I wanted something taken care of now so bad that I made a bad choice. So I had a promise given to me by God that I would be a teacher. I did not think this at the time. Um, I was actually studying to be a math teacher. And anyone that studied to become a teacher in California, that process slowly takes over your life. Um, to such an extent that the very last semester before you graduate, you cannot even work anymore. You are completely 100% dedicated to student teaching and schooling. And so a whole lot of that time, we are saving up money, doing the best as we can. I'm taking every other shift I possibly can take just to save up money for that semester. It's a long period of time of not getting a paycheck. Um, and so my wife is still working, Emily, who can't be here because we have sick children. Um, it just keeps going around that merry-go-round. Um, thanks. <laughs> Me too. Uh, but they get better quickly in this one, so that part's good. Um, anyway, uh, saving up money, doing as much as we can, we get towards the summer. My car, I drive and all of a sudden it goes, clack, 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 clack. It's not a good sound in a car. Stop it, get it towed to an auto shop. He looks at it, he goes, oh, you have a crankshaft bearing that went out. Now, that's not a big, expensive part, but it's a lot to get to the part. Right. Um, so all the money that goes into fixing that is in the labor just to get to it. And the auto mechanic said, this car is not worth the cost of me fixing it. I'll do it if you want me to but I would advise maybe scrapping and getting a new car. So I took the mechanic's advice, um, very fortunately at the time. So this is, throughout this whole process, God has provided for us. He's been there, We've, we don't have gobs of money, but the bills have always been paid, everything's always been taken care of. And my brother-in-law is living with us at the time, and he rides his motorcycle all the time, so he has, lets me borrow his car. It's great, it's wonderful. That should be a nice solution to the problem so I can slowly look for the right car, right? Here's the setup. <laughs> I'm impatient because I want it resolved. I want the desire fulfilled. I want my tree of life. I don't want to be past this right now. So I start hunting for a car, and all the right cars cost more than I want them to cost. And so I come across a car that isn't the right car, but it costs what I want it to cost. And looking at it, it's one of those times where it's just, I should have known better. But wanting it to be done now resulted in a really bad choice. Bought the car. It's middle of summer. I'm driving it down to uh, West Sacramento, all the way up to Placerville, probably four times a week. A lot of hills, 
little Honda Civic, middle of summer. It's hot. It's a lot of strain. What happens two weeks later on a car that I shouldn't have bought? Head gasket blows. How much a head gasket costs to repair compared to a crankshaft bearing? It's about double. Fortunately, though, I still have the car that my brother-in-law was lending. But now I have this big problem. Because we just spent all this money on this car. How do you fix that car? Impatience can lead to greater problems. Where if I just waited, or if I just chosen the thing that I knew was actually good, we wouldn't have had this problem. But now we have to deal with this. But... God can still use things for our good, even with our mistakes. Because several years before, I'd helped my friend replace his head gasket, so I knew how to do that. So with the help of my brother-in-law who's there, over a few days, we tear the car apart, we replace it, we replace all of the cooling thing, systems in it, and then it runs fine. And so I have that car from that point on, costing but it cost me probably another $1,000 just in parts for it. And we needed to save this money. But God is still faithful. I had to quit my job, like I said. What I didn't know is that the job I was at, when you leave, they pay you out all of your sick and vacation time, which is the amount that I spent on repairing the car. Later on, I was able to buy a truck from Bill Warden, who's right here. Thank you, Bill. Um, and I didn't have to drive that car anymore. My dad got out of prison and he needed a vehicle. I was able to give it to him. God still uses things long-term as a blessing with, even with our mistakes. But it would have been better had I not had to make the mistake and endure the stress and the difficulty throughout it if we had simply been waiting for God. So waiting is hard. What can help us wait? So I looked at a few things. How can we have easier time waiting. So we need to look to good examples. So the first example is Paul from Philippians 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to set our minds on the things of God. Talked about it all last week. What are the actual most important things? A people, a place, and your God. The things that can't be replaced. Focus on those things a place where you belong, a people who you can call family, a God who will walk with you through everything. We have to be, have a heavenly mindset and not an earthly mindset. It's all temporal. It's all going to burn. Keeping our mind on the eternal. James says this to us, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Establish your hearts. 
It's a similar advice. What are you dwelling on? What is occupying your time and your worry? Is it worth the time and the worry you're giving it? Have you given it over to the Lord? Are you established in His grace and His love? When He said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, cast your burdens upon me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, do you do that? Are you established? Or are you trying to pull the yoke on your own? And establish our hearts. And don't grumble. What you say to yourself and what you say to your others affects how you think about life. If you're constantly complaining about life, life sucks. If you're constantly telling yourself life sucks, life sucks. <laughs> but when you say, you know, life is good, I've got a full belly, I've got a dry bed, I've got clean clothes. Amen. Amen. We have to tell ourselves the good things God is doing and not grumble. And look to the prophets. Look to the examples. Look to the ones that really had some bad things going on in their life. (laughs) One of them was David, Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Two things here. One, life is not fair. There is no claim anywhere that it is. You ask anybody that has lived even a little bit, it's not fair. It's not about to be fair. There's nothing we're going to do that's going to cause it to be fair, even though a lot of people are trying to make it fair. It's never going to be fair. Everyone's born into a different context, a different person, a different place, a different family. Everyone is born different. It's not fair. It's not even. We have to stop expecting it to be. God has given you a lot in life. It's a lot, and it's also your lot. What does God have for you? Focus on that, because the more we look at others, there's always going to be someone who has more, or has that easy, or has this, or has that, and that only leads to pain, and frustration, and anger. Focus on what God has given you, and what God has for you during this time, because you're all going to eternity. If you believe in Christ and has accepted his forgiveness, you're going to be with him in eternity forever. This is just a mere moment. It's a breath. It's a vapor. A heavenly mindset. Second thing, every now and then, you just have to be still before the Lord. Pause. Breathe. Take a moment to stop and listen to Him. That doesn't mean stop and have the tirade in your head of everything you're saying to God. Literally, stop. Listen to the Lord. 
My favorite example from scripture is of this is Elijah. Where Elijah has gone through the ringer. It's 1 Kings 19. He has been fervently after God. He's had to call out the king. He's had to declare righteousness. He's stopped water from coming into land for years on behalf of the Lord. He's got a death sentence on his head. He's running through for his life in his whole land. And he's up to such a point when he's fled, he said, Lord, haven't I done enough? Haven't I endured enough? Can I just die now? Can we just end it, God? I'm so tired of it. And what does God say? Does he promise, you know, everything's going to be all right, Elijah. Everything's going to be all great. In just a minute, everything's going to come to pass and it's all going to turn around. No. No, he doesn't promise any of that. What does he tell Elijah? Take a nap. Have a snack. (laughs) Truly, he makes him do it twice. And how true is that often in our lives? To just pause for a moment, have a sandwich. How better things can often be with a full belly. Take a nap. Get a good night's rest. Get some perspective on life. This is how I know God has a sense of humor. Because of how often this is actually true. How simple that is. It's, like, it's not going to make everything better. But it helps your perspective on the life you're living. To realize God has put simple things in place to help us continue on a little longer, a little more. So Lord... We pray that you help us to rest. We pray that you help us to reflect. We pray you help us to be patient when waiting on the promises you've given us, waiting on the desires of our heart, Lord, waiting on the world to turn its heart after you, God. We just pray that you keep us continually seeking after you, acknowledging you, and waiting for you, Lord. Pray that you build up the endurance within us that we can keep moving forward one one step at a time, advancing your kingdom, doing the purposes that you've called us to. Amen.